Awesome. My name is John. It's great to be with you this evening. Uh, I'm a pastoral intern here at Northview. So that basically means I'm in the same program as Daniel. We're working together on getting our master's degrees, uh, Masters of Divinity. Northview is a great place. They've put together this program. They've invited a bunch of us in. And we get to just serve the local church and learn and study, and it's a fantastic opportunity. Um, I was actually an intern of Andy's, oh, I think it was about four years ago. Um, And so I got to work really closely with Andy, and Andy is a fantastic um, mentor. He's a fantastic person to work with and learn from. Um, And I learned a lot. And so now I get to be here. Actually, Andy in NYA was one of the first places that I got the opportunity to actually preach and fell in love with preaching and have been given lots of opportunities to explore preaching in different areas, different churches, and I absolutely love it. So hopefully I don't bore you guys to tears tonight. That's the goal. But we'll see how that goes. A number of weeks ago, I got home from a, a conference I was at. I was at a Theological nerd conference is basically what it was. Basic, seriously, no, 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 seriously. This is what it was. There was a bunch of like rooms and you would go and sit and there would be like a bunch of chairs. So think of a room like this. There was rooms like this, room full of chairs like this and like 10 people in the room. And that's all there is. And then there's this dude up front. So I'm the guy that, and all he does is he picks up his paper that he wrote. It's like this dense academic paper and all they do is read it. They don't look up, they don't, no jokes, no nothing, they just read it. And it's like talking about some obscure point of like, hey, this is how we should translate this word from the Greek, but we translate it this way. So here's what that means if we were to actually change how we think about this word. I love these things. It's, you guys are all like, that sounds awful. I'm like, no, no, it's great, it's awesome, it's so much fun. I get to learn, uh, I get to experience what kind of is going on in the academic world of theology. And it really is a great time to um, actually get to know some of the different pastors on staff. So we all go down. Um, Jeff was there. Andy's there. Ezra's there. Steve Ween's our executive pastor. We're all there. And one of the, the, the good things about this week, this conference, is that we go out for dinner every night. And Steve Ween's our executive pastor. He basically is a genius at finding these local restaurants that we can basically just indulge in. And they're so good. So we go to a burger night, burger joint one night, we go to a pizza place the next night and just these, these different restaurants. And so we're eating out every night. I'm eating fast food for lunch every day that we're, I'm there. I'm gone for like six days. I get home Saturday night, late, wake up Sunday morning, go to church. I'm hanging out with a friend Sunday afternoon. I get to about like seven o'clock in the evening and I am toast. I feel gross. I feel like I just need to like stop eating food altogether because I'm done. Like all of the, like I think American sized portions of food and that kind of food for like six days, I was like, oh, I don't need any more food. So I get home and I'm talking to this friend about this and I just am like, okay, I need to change this. Like something needs to change. I need to do something different with how I'm eating. And so we come up with this um, kind of idea of, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll challenge one another, we'll compete against one another, see who can um, eat clean the longest. And so I'm winning, and it's going great. They're totally going to lose. But anyway, um, so it's going great. But one of the things that I didn't realize going into this was how bad it actually was before I started this. So I started this, and I'm about three weeks in, and I've lost a ton of weight. I feel so much better. I have so much more energy. I didn't realize how bad I was actually eating and how bad it was for me before this until I did make the change and stepped into something different. 
In this passage tonight, I'm, we're going to talk about friendship tonight. And the reality is, is that a lot of us don't actually know what we're missing. We, we know there's something wrong. We know that there's something in our lives that needs to change. But the reality is we're not actually going to know how bad it was until we actually take that step. So we're going we're gonna to study this. We're going to be in Colossians 4, verses 7 through 18. So if you want to open your Bibles up, you can do that. Um, this passage is basically just a bunch of names. And so Andy and Daniel were generous and gracious enough to give me this passage. They thought, you know what? This would be a great passage for John to preach. He's, he's young. He's got experience. You know what? He'll handle this fine. In fact, they were so sure that I could handle this that Andy went off to Uganda for like two weeks, and he got back just today, and Dan took a vacation because he was like, man, John's got it. So they gave me this. They totally punted it. They were like, ah, we don't want it. So here we go, starting in verse 7. Take a kiss. We'll tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. So a little bit of what's going on. Paul basically has finished writing this letter to the Colossian church, and now he's kind of giving his introduction of all these people that he wants the church to, to welcome into their arms, to welcome into the fold. And so he starts listing off a bunch of names, and all of these names are like partners with Paul in ministry. So he starts with Tychicus, um, a fellow servant in the Lord. Verse 8, I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans. That you in, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I'm going to talk about one thing tonight, and that's the necessity of friendship. That's it. That's all I want to talk about. This is Paul's list of friends and ministry partners that he is trying to commend to the church in Colossae. And in these 11 verses, he names 10 people. The only other book where he names more people is Romans. But he's naming 10 people. I'm just going to go through it. I'm just going to like point out some of these things about these people. Tychicus is basically Paul's personal letter carrier. So Tychicus is taking this letter to the church in Colossae, and he's going with Paul's blessing but he's also the one who carries the church or the letter to the church in Ephesus. He's a trusted friend of Paul. And the way that Paul describes him is he's a dear brother. The NIV translates this dear, and we read dear and we think of um, like dear John or dear Lucy, like the beginning of a letter. It's kind of like a, just a nice formal way to greet somebody. And yet what the reality is of this 
word here is that it actually means loved brother. Like he's got a deep affection for Tychicus and this is why he's entrusted him with this ministry of carrying these letters and these correspondence to these churches. And so this is, this is Tychicus. He's a, a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant. And then he lists Onesimus and he says the same thing, a beloved brother. He has a deep affection for these people as he's telling the church about them. And then he continues, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus. Now I want you to think about that. He's saying there's another guy who's in chains with him, who's in prison for the sake of the gospel, and he's with Paul. And he's saying, look, this guy sends his greetings to you as well. And then he talks about Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. We'll talk about him in a little bit. And Jesus, who is called Justice, and he gets to Epaphras. Epaphras actually shows up earlier in this letter. In Colossians 1, Epaphras is mentioned as the one who actually brings the gospel to Colossae. So Paul doesn't actually preach the gospel to Colossae. His ministry is just one of, the, of, of bringing and encouraging the church as an apostle of Christ Jesus. Like that's all Paul's doing here. So he didn't, he didn't plant the church. He's never been there. He's just encouraging the church with this letter, saying, here's, here's the gospel that you believed. Continue in it. Don't, don't believe any false teaching. And here's what it looks like to live according to this gospel. That's basically been this letter. And so he's encouraging them and saying, look, Epaphras, he's this guy. He's a beloved brother, he says in Colossians 1. And then he says here of Epaphras that he's wrestling in prayer for this church. And he continues on, he says, the next person he mentions is his dear friend, Luke the doctor. Now, Luke, in this, this Luke is the Luke who wrote the gospel and the book of Acts. And Luke is one of Paul's closest friends and companions. The reason I, I can say that is because if you go back and look at the book of Acts, Paul, Luke, when he's writing the last few chapters of Acts, any narrative section that you have there, Luke uses the, the plural we. He's not saying Paul and his companions or his cohort did this and this happened to them. He's actually saying, no, 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 we did this. We were heading back to Jerusalem and then Paul was arrested and then we got on a ship to go to Rome and then we were shipwrecked in, in Malta, like middle of nowhere island. And so Luke is with Paul in all of these different moments. And so Paul is surrounded by this group of friends that have partnered with him in ministry. There's no way that Paul could have done his ministry without this group of people. Right? There's, there's no way. He didn't plant the church in Colossae. That was Epaphras. He didn't carry the letters to the churches. That was Tychicus. He wrote these letters, but that's about all that he did. He needed people around him to carry out his ministry. And the reality is, is that in our own lives, we need people around us to fulfill what God has called us to. Right? God's going to call us to live faithfully to him, and we need people around us to encourage us to keep us going in that. Right? We, we need to be the kind of people that are surrounded by people encouraging us on. I don't know if you guys have seen, you probably have, there's lots of different clips of these kinds of stories. Um, in the Olympics, there was a, a guy running a race. I don't know what kind of race it was. It was a track race. And right towards the end of the race, he pulled up lame, like pulled a muscle in his leg and couldn't run the rest of the race. Fell to the ground, 
was unable to finish, gets up, starts hobbling towards the finish. And then out of the stands, you see this guy that come down the stands, hop over the, f- the fence, run towards him. Security's like, no, 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 you can't get there. He like, pushes him aside, gets to, next to the runner, and says, no, no, I'm going to help you finish this race. And together, the two of them cross the finish line. And afterwards, you find out there was this guy's father that had come out of the stands to help him finish this race. The reality is, is in, in the race of faith, we're going to be knocked down. We're going to be crippled. And when we cross that finish line, we're going to have scars and limps because of life. And so we need people around us that can encourage us on towards that finish line. Paul, in, in this passage, he's got two, two groups of people. He's got a kind of a, a closer circle of friends. And then the way that he describes Luke is his, his dear friend, so we, we need both of those things. We need, we need a, a close group of friends. So let's say like a community group. We just, Tristan just talked about it. Community groups are this place where you can have that group of friends where you guys are doing life together and you guys are encouraging one another and you're able to love on people when things are going sideways and they can encourage you when things are going sideways in your own life. A community group is a great place for this. But the reality is we also need deep friendships with people. And that's going to be a handful of people throughout your life. You have a capacity for about like one to maybe three of these at a time. And these are the kinds of people that that are going to really help you get through life. And the reality is, is that some of us do have friends like this and a lot of us don't. A lot of us don't have these kinds of deep friendships and we long for them. Right? There's a reason why shows like Cheers and Seinfeld and Friends, sorry, I said Cheers, that's even before my time, so most of you won't know what that is. Some of you don't even know what Seinfeld is. Disappointing. Shame on you. Go figure it out. <laughs> Go figure it out. But if you look at all of these shows, the majority of these shows is people just sitting around talking. Just, just going through life and talking about what's going on. Yes, it's clever writing. and Yes, it's funny. But I think what really draws us in after the humor is the fact that we see that and there's something in us that longs for that. We long to have that kind of friendship where we can just sit around a coffee table and chat with our friends. And we were made for this, right? Like this is what we were made for is to have these kinds of deep friendships, right? We were created to have that kind of relationship with God and God created us to have that kind of relationship with other people. So why is it that it's so hard for us to find that? Why is that it's, it seems like we long for it, but it's just outside of our grasp? I think the first reason is that we're actually terrified of being vulnerable. And I, I mean that be, because some of us have been hurt. Some of us have had friends ruin our lives. They've betrayed our trust. Some of us have seen that happen to others, and so we just we don't even want to go there. It's the, the idea of, I don't know, you guys have probably seen mistreated animals in shelters, and when a family comes to adopt that animal, they feel safer in the cage, in the shelter, than actually going home, because the only experience they know with, with humans is that of being mistreated. And so they think the best existence is in the cage, and they don't actually want to take the step outside of that. 
I say that because that's actually my story. I was there. I was hurt by a group of friends that I thought were my friends, and over a period of about 10 months, they decided they wanted nothing to do with me and deserted me, and I had no idea why. And so I went through the next several years of my life through finishing high school and graduating school, and the way that I dealt with it was I put up a whole bunch of walls. And these walls consisted of basically creating a persona and a character that I thought was able to keep people at arm's length, but allow them to get close enough so that they felt like they knew me a little bit. And so I got really good at finding out where that, that boundary was, where people felt comfortable around me, but not actually knowing who I was. And this led to a lonely, lonely existence. Because I, I desperately wanted to be known by people, but I just was not willing to open up and let people know who I was. And it wasn't until about four years ago when I was an intern and... Um, there was this wonderful guy that I met who ended up becoming and is one of my dearest friends to this day. And he decided that he, for some unknown reason, decided that he was going to make it his mission to get through every single one of the walls that I had put up. And it took him a number of years. But once I realized that I could trust this person this friend started to open up a little bit. Started to take that, that risk of, okay, I can, I can share with you some of my, my hopes, my fears. Started to be able to confess sin with him. And over time developed this really deep friendship with him. And that was, that was hard for me to do. Because I was terrified of being vulnerable I think we're, we're all terrified of being vulnerable. So I think that's, that's the first reason why these kinds of friendships are hard to find. The second reason is that we live in an age that's dominated by social media. And don't get me wrong, I think social media is great. Heather was just up here and she's taking pictures for our Facebook and Instagram pages and it's awesome. We get to have a reach where we can, we can promote what is going on here at NYA to, to hopefully draw people in. They could see what's going on and say, they want to be a part of that kind of community and they, they come on out and check us out. That's wonderful. We want, we want that. But the dangerous side of social media is that you can actually feel like you're connected to a whole bunch of people and not actually be known by anyone. You can sit alone in your room at night and scroll through your Instagram feed and know what everything that has been going on and yet nobody knows what's actually going on inside of you. And so we, we carry this into our relationships outside of that, like just even personal interactions. We become so good at curating a persona and a profile for people to see online that that's all we know. And so when we stand in front of people and have face-to-face conversations with them, that's what we do. We just put the, the persona up because we think that's what people want. And so we're, we're terribly lonely and yet want people to know who we are and don't know how to bridge that gap. 
And can I just, can I just be real about social media for a minute? Like, I, I don't have answers to some of these questions, but why is it that we feel like we need to post so many things about our lives for, to just put it out there? Right? Like, you're having, you're having a great time with friends out somewhere, and the thought that runs through your head is, I need to take a picture of this to post it. Why? Like, I don't have an answer. I've been talking to people about this, like, all day, and I don't have an answer. But I think the question needs to be asked, and we need to start thinking about why it is that we have this desperate need to put what's going on in our lives out there for people to see all the time. So social media allows us to feel connected, and yet we're desperately alone because nobody knows us. So what do we do in those moments? Like, okay, so that's great. Like, those are the problems. What, what's the solution? Where do we go from here then? Well, the first step is that you actually have to take a little bit of a risk. Like, if you're going to be open and vulnerable with somebody, that's risk-taking. Because you're entrusting a little bit of yourself with somebody, not knowing how it's going to end. I want you to imagine, like, don't do this with just anybody. Like, don't just throw it out there. Don't throw caution in the wind. Like, you could take calculated risks. Like, imagine, imagine you're walking around Mill Lake and you find a duffel bag full of 100 grand worth of money. It's Abbotsford. It could happen. Like, you, this could happen. <laughs> and you would pick it up and run to the car because you would not want somebody to come back and be like, that's my bag. And you're like, no, it's not. Yeah, exactly. So, but... You, you get this bag, they, someone sees you carrying with it, it's heavy because there's 100 grand in the bag, and you're like, hey, can I give you a hand with that? They don't know what's in the bag, they just, they just want you to give, they want to help you out to your car. And you think to yourself, I don't know this person, this is a stranger to me, there's no way I'm letting them help me carry my 100 grand. But you go to the bank the next day, and there's another stranger that walks up to you, the bank manager's like, oh, you got 100 grand? That's great, like, what do you want to do with it? And so you're like, I don't know, tell me. So the bank manager gives you a whole bunch of ideas of like what you can do with your money. And you, you entrust your money to this bank manager. You don't know that person. You, that's a stranger to you. In the same way that the person that offered to help you at Mill Lake was a stranger. And yet you're willing to offer and give your money to the bank manager because there's some kind of trust there. But you don't have any guarantees that he's not going to like scam you out of your money. Like that's a very real possibility. So we take calculated risks when we're doing these things, when we're opening up to people. We don't just, the next person we meet, we're like, oh my goodness, here's my life. <laughs> that's, that's not wise. But we take calculated risks with these things. So we need to be the kinds of people that are, are taking these kinds of risks. See, we can take these risks because ultimately we know that God is in control. Right? I, I was reading some, um, some articles on loneliness and they were giving solutions for how we can deal with the fact that we're lonely and we're desperately lonely. And they were trying to offer solutions and try to like give ideas, and not one of them mentioned taking risks in opening yourself up. And I think the reason they, they did that is because risk-taking is something that we don't 
do very often. And the reality is, is when you open yourself up, that's all you're doing is taking a risk. But we can trust God, and that's why we can take a risk. Right? Like if, if our identity is solid in who God is, and we are dependent on him for everything, and we know that our identity is wrapped up in him and who he says about us, we could start to open up. Because if somebody, if somebody sins against us and hurts us, we know that we're going to be okay because we're found in God. Right? Like, if we try to do this apart from God, like if we're going to try to open up to people and put all of our hope in them, it's not going to go well. They're going to, guaranteed people are going to hurt you. Like, that's a guarantee in this life. We are, we are wicked sinners, we are bent in on ourselves, and we will sin against one another. You will hurt people, and people will hurt you. It's just the way it is. But the fact that our if our identity is grounded in Christ, when those things happen, we can extend grace and receive grace. We get to be a picture of the gospel. All right, this is, this is Paul. I said I was going to mention Mark a little bit later. Mark in this passage is the same Mark that deserted Paul on his first missionary journey. Like Paul gets out, takes Mark with him, and they're out doing ministry, and it's hard. And people are persecuting him, and Mark's like, I like it better with my mom. So he leaves and goes back home. And so there, the next time that Paul goes out, Barnabas, Mark's cousin, is saying, we should take Mark with us. And Paul's like, absolutely not. And there's a huge, I mean huge fight between Mark and Barnabas. Or I mean Paul and Barnabas, Sorry. And they split and they go their separate ways. Paul goes one way and takes Timothy with him and, and Barnabas goes the other way with Mark. And yet what you see in this letter is that that rift, that hurt, that um, damage of desertion has been restored. Has, they have reconciled. He says, welcome Mark. And later in um, one of the other letters to Timothy, Paul will say that Mark is useful in the gospel so bring him to me. See, there's, there's the hope of restoration if our identity is in Christ. Like, people are going to hurt you. Guarantee it. But you can trust because God's got you. I used to work summers at the water park out at Cultus Lake. And I loved it. loved that job. And one of, one of the cool things that I got to, to see there was Families would come there, and so dads would take their kids into the kiddie pool and take their, their two, three-year-olds in there. And they'd be playing and splash around on the water, and you would see the dad would put the kid out on the, on the deck, and then they would jump in, and they, the kid was doing fine because they knew they could touch the bottom. And then our kiddie pool gets a little bit deeper in some areas, and so the dad would start to move a little bit deeper and try to encourage the, the kid to jump into the pool. And so... He'd start moving deeper, and they'd be a little bit timid and a little bit shy about doing it, and, but they would still do it because they still knew they could touch. And then they knew when they got to a place where they couldn't touch, and they wouldn't jump it at all. Like, they just wouldn't do it. And so dad's in the pool. He's like, no, 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 I got you. I got you. And they're like, are you sure? Yep, I'm here. I won't, I won't let you go. I got you. And so without fail, they would walk up to the edge of the pool and then they would like bend their knees. And then instead of jumping, they would just like 
fall into the pool. <laughs> and then dad would catch him. And then dad would put the kid back up on the pool deck. And this time, because dad caught him the first time, they, they said, okay, I'm actually going to jump this time. So they jumped into the pool. And they would do that. And then dad would put him out on the deck again. And this time they would take a couple of steps back and they would run and jump into the pool because they knew that dad had him. See, dad's got us. We can take risks in opening ourselves up because God's got us. Yes, it's scary, and yes, it's hard, but it's worth it. I've come from that side of knowing that something was wrong, and I didn't realize what I was missing until I had taken that risk, until I had trusted myself with somebody. And once I was over here, I realized how much I was actually missing. God's designed us for this. He's designed us for deep friendship with one another. And the only way that we're going to get there is if we trust him. So let's trust God with our heart and let's take that next step. Let me pray for us. Father God, I'm so thankful for your grace. I'm thankful that you have us in your hands, Father. Father, that we can trust you with our hearts, with our lives, with our hopes, our fears. Father, there's nothing that can, that can separate us from you. Father, would you impress that upon our hearts? Would you make it real to us? And then because that's true, would you, would you help us to, to pursue friendship in this way? to take calculated risks, to open up to people. Father, we long for these kinds of friendships, so would you provide them for us in our lives? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.